This podcast was produced on stolen Yagra and Turrbal land that was never ceded. So my name is Peter Ong. I'm the State Secretary of the Electrical Trades Union for Queensland Northern Territory. Um, you know, I'm an electrician by trade. I started my time as a 15-year-old uh, in Karratha up north of WA, building the first stage of the Burrup Peninsula gas project back in 1986. Um, had no hair under my arms, chicken skin on my balls, and now uh, I ended into living in a 7,000 man camp as a 15 year old, so it was a, a bit of an eye opener for me. Uh, there was probably, I was working for a company called Ralph M. Lee, who had about 200 electrical staff, and we had the $50 million underground cabling contract, so I did nothing but pull steel wire armor lead sheath cables. Uh, 304 core lead sheath, steel wire armour in 50 degree heat and eight foot trenches all day for about two years. So didn't learn a great deal of my trade in that first two years, but certainly picked it up in the in the back end of the of my apprenticeship and, and after I became a tradesman. But some of the, uh, I guess, most grounding um, learning experiences that I had was about the trade union movement. When I um, started as a 15 year old, I was put with uh, one of the tradesmen on the on the cable pulling crew I was working with was the delegate. His name was Jeff Guest, uh, Hoggy, who, um, who certainly educated me when you're stuck on a cable pulling crew all day, every day, you can either talk about football or bullshit or uh, I was lucky enough that that uh, hockey would be in my ear all day about the trade union movement and and why we joined the movement. Um, what it did for workers, how you can't stand up to bosses on your own. Um, unfortunately, they have the power, and the only way that we can level that power out is to be, you know, acting as a collective, standing together as as a work collective, and then you you level that out to a certain extent. So, um, you know, I worked, as I said, in Carrather for two years. I came back to Brisbane, worked on the Combank, which, again, was, you know, it was a, it was a pretty good job, but we had a, a pretty tragic accident on that job, and it came down to what I believe was, um, you know, it wasn't the, the, the maintenance of, of the, um, the slings on the, on the crane crew, um, there was an incident one day when they were lifting up the, the window sills, the big concrete panels that went on the window sills, and the slings came unstitched, dropping one of those panels down to the ground and killed a mother, father and, and two kids and orphaned a young boy um, on that day. The job got shut down. There were all sorts of um, safety implementations that came out of that. I mean, in those days, we were still wearing volleys to work. So, you know, it became mandatory for, uh, for people to wear steel cap boots. It became mandatory for testing of slings and, and all sorts of other um, crane procedures that were implemented. Um, but it certainly, it instilled in me the need that you have to have regulation around occupational health and safety within, you know, the dangerous industry that we work in. And it was, you know, something that stuck in my mind going forward for the rest of my days. You know, I could all, 
always imagine that uh, the little kid that was dawdling behind and his mum told him to keep up and the next minute he was the only one in the family left alive. So, you know, things we do every day, um, you know, can have critical impacts not only on ourselves and our workmates but the greater community and that certainly stuck with me throughout the rest of my working life. Um, another incident in Carrath was the same thing as a young fellow when, um, you know, we had a, a crane accident. There were guys pouring concrete um, through a, from a kibble in, on a massive 300 tonne Manitowoc crane. Um, the kibble itself, you know, held so many tonnes of concrete and had eight concreters manoeuvring it around the slab. Remembering we're in the middle of nowhere, we didn't have uh, concrete trucks, they just used a batching plant with kibbles and the, and the cranes to move them around. Um, the crane had been slipping, the crane driver had spoken to the, the crane superintendent and told him that as he was lowering the crane up and down that the, the brake had been slipping and they should probably pull it up um, and walk another crane from one side of the job over to complete the pour, which would have taken about an hour. Um, the, the concrete superintendent said, no, look, we've got, um, you know, only an hour left in the pour anyway, let's just get it done. And on the next load, as he was lowering down the kibble, the, the, brain, uh, the brake slipped and the boom crashed to the, the ground. It killed two of the concreters instantly. Another one died in hospital later on that night. And um, the crane driver himself unfortunately killed himself about 12 months later because he had a very hard time living with that incident and the fact that, you know, three people had lost his life when he could have pulled it up even though the superintendent told him not to. But, um, you know, again, that was just another incident that stuck in my mind that what we do um, and the things that we don't speak out about or don't stand up to can mean, um, you know, whether someone lives or dies. So it, it is extremely important to me that we maintain a stance on what's right when it comes to health and safety and we maintain a stance on what's right when it comes to wages and conditions and bettering the, the lives of, of our members and, and workers in general. So uh, when I finished my time, I think my last job um, was Expo. No, no, Expo wasn't last job. I ended up in the switchboard section of Ralph M. Lee, which was really shit for a four-year apprentice. But anyway, um, when I finished my time, I just it was a natural progression for me to keep working project work. So I worked on a lot of projects around Australia, built, um, you know, the Cracker in Geelong. I uh, went out to gold mines in, in Western Queensland, gold mines in uh, Northern Territory, back over to WA um, at Argyle Diamond Mine. And I worked overseas for seven years. I did um, five years in Pulgara in New Guinea and two years in Indonesia. Um, working again in the mining sector, mostly in, in gold mines. But the whole seven years that I spent working overseas, I always paid my union dues because I always believed in maintaining um, a strong trade union movement back in Australia for the fact that I, I believed, um, you know, strongly in a trade union movement. And I certainly didn't want to come back to to Australia and, and find that even though my my yearly union dues weren't going to be the only thing that kept it going, but it certainly it was something that was important to me to make sure that I kept paying my dues. 
to do my bit, if you like, to maintain um, the movement. So when I came back to Queensland in, shit, it must have been about 1994 or 95, um, I was working on... Um, Woodford Prison. We were building Woodford Prison at the time. And, you know, you saw a lot of people, uh, organisers from the BLF, the CFMEU, even the plumbers, um, when we had mass meetings on site, but you didn't see a lot uh, from the ETU. And it was because we hadn't really organised at the time. We were still um, rebuilding, I guess, after the the hammering that the ETU had copped from the CQEB dispute. After the CQEB dispute in 85, we were broke. Um, we were ordered that we wouldn't, weren't allowed to organise for, for 12 months, so we couldn't take on members. We were $3 million in the red. At the time, it was huge amounts of money. Um, and so we were fairly stretched on where we organised and who, how many people we could employ and all the rest of it. So even in 1995, 10 years later, um, we only had one organiser looking after construction. We hadn't really organised the construction sector. Um, and so I started getting the shits, if you like, why we weren't, I wasn't seeing organisers on the job. So I started attending sub-branch meetings and, you know, just saying, what's going on? We don't have enough representation out there. Um, and that's when Bob Hendricks was the secretary at the time, said, well, do you want to have a run at it? So... I said, yep, I'll have a go, and started in 2000 as an organiser. So five years after I'd come back to Australia, I, I came in as an organiser. Um, and it, they were very different in those times. We were allowed to, um, you know, the right of entry laws were different, even though John Howard was the Prime Minister at the time and he was starting to implement the likes of work choices and the, and the uh, strategy that that they were building to and have actually implemented over the last 20 years, um, we were still had no right of entry laws in place. So an organiser could walk onto the job and spend all day on the job, which is exactly what I used to do. I would walk up to the first electrician and say, how you going, Peter Ong from the ETU? Are you in the union? If they said yes, I'd have a yarn, make sure everything was all right and go to the next bloke. If they said no, I'd spend half an hour talking to them about the importance of the trade union movement, what the trade union movement did, and get them to join. And that was exactly, you know, all of that information and knowledge that was put into me from Hoggy back in, you know, 1986 when I was a 15-year-old kid and, and for all those years onwards, um, that was all I was doing was passing on that education to electricians on the job. Um, and that's why electricians would join the union, they would know why they were in the union, and I guess I think we had a lot stronger union movement in those times. So obviously this is something that, you know, the haters of unions or the, the LNP governments wanted to do away with because, um, you know, if they can disband unions or weaken the union movement in the labour force, then they have a more compliant workforce. So the first thing they understood was to stop the education, we need to stop the organisers from being on the job. So they implemented the, the right of entry laws, which said you can only enter a job if you give put in a 24-hour notice, and then you can only speak to workers during their lunch break or smoko break. 
So, A, you had to put in a 24-hour notice before you could get on the job, but then you could only speak to workers for 20 minutes in their smoko break while they were trying to get a feeding, which was an absolute joke. Um, you really can't educate people in a 20-minute period when they're staring at their feet trying to, um, you know, eat their lunch, especially if, you know, these people have been in uh, an area where the boss has had them for a long time saying, you don't want to talk to the union, you don't want them on site, they'll cost you your job. If I have to do an EBA, then we'll go broke and you won't have a job anymore. Um, so it, it became very hard to educate and organise workers, which was the intent of that bill. Um, we've also then seen consistent LNP governments over the years, and, and this is why we're, I guess, heading up the um, our labour hire campaign, set fire to labour hire. Um, we have seen labour hire rampant in across our industries um, over the last 10 years especially. But again, this is a strategy that's been put in place by consecutive Liberal governments. So um, back in 2003, um, we still had in our awards that you could only be a casual employee for up to six weeks uh, before you had to be offered permanent employment. Um, that was stripped away by the Howard Liberal government um, when they did um, harmonisation or modernisation of awards, I think they called it. Um, those clauses were taken out of our awards so we then put them into EBAs as, as EBAs were given to us to lift our wages and conditions as um, I guess the instrument to do so. We started putting clauses into our EBAs that said you can only be employed casual for up to six weeks before you must be made permanent and, uh, and labour hire could only be used by if there was consultation and then as well as only being employed under labour hire for up to six weeks, you had to be paid the same wages and conditions as your EBA. Uh, when Abbott was in power, again, another LNP um, government, they introduced the building code. Now, the building code is just a procurement policy for federal government. If you want to tender on federal government work as a company, you must comply with the building code. And part of that meant that when you did an EBA, it had to be tested against the building code and of course all of these fundamental protections for workers the clause around six weeks casual only the clause around um, labor hire must be paid the same wages and conditions as the eba all of those clauses became illegal under the building code and had to be taken out of our ebas so fundamental protections for workers being stripped away by an LNP federal government who's supposed to, you know, when they when they get into power, they uh, commit to looking after Australians, looking after their constituents, and yet here they are introducing laws that strip away fundamental protections of workers, which probably 10, 15 million of their constituents are actively working and, and they've got laws introduced to strip away protections for them. Um, so when they did that, we obviously saw um, labour hire start to go rampant. Up until then, they were really only used for peaks and troughs. Um, they then became a business model for, for companies to use to put downward pressure on wages and conditions. So even though we'd go, we could go out and, 
and get a company into an EBA, sign up into an EBA that paid, you know, good wages and good conditions because we couldn't get those clauses in there around labour hire because they were illegal, companies would only have to employ, you know, 5% of the workforce that they actually needed direct under their EBA and then use labour hire to provide the rest of the workforce at a rate of pay that was much less. In fact, they only had to pay them to the award. So currently the award is $23 an hour, our EBA rate is 57. So you can see the huge difference in wages and conditions that have to be paid to labour hire. And, and we are now, as, as I say, seeing that as a business model across Australia to the point where two thirds of workers in our industries are employed by labour hire at a lot lesser rate than their EBAs. And we've lately, uh, the latest one by the LNP government under Morrison is uh, the omnibus bill that he pushed through, um, introduced a clause that made it a, a casual clause uh, classification in the Fair Work Act, where we didn't have one before that actually stipulates a casual worker can be employed for up to 12 months on casual before an employee, uh, employer has any obligation to make them permanent. And even then, if the employer says, I oh, know I need them to be casual for an extra three months or extend that 12 months, then they're basically just given that. So, uh, you know, it's the laws are set against workers in this country. There is no way around them at the moment. In fact, the only way we are going to change that is to change the government. And I know a lot of our members have heard us harping on about it before, um, but that's a fact. If you don't pay heed to the fact of who you vote for are the ones who set the legislation that impacts on your ability to earn wages, on your ability to put food on the table. Um, you know, if you don't keep that in mind when you go to the ballot box, then we're going to continually end up with governments who are dead set anti-worker. And it's got worse with, you know, people are disillusioned with both the major parties and we see the likes of Pauline Hanson and, and um, Clive Palmer, who are just a distraction because both of those deliver their votes back to the LNP anyway. Um, people just really have to actually start getting politicised themselves as much as they might hate it because it's the government of the day that sets the legislation that impacts on your working life. And I guess that's why we're, uh, we're kicking off the labour hire campaign to a certain extent is to try and educate our members leading up to an election because obviously we want to see a Labor government put in place um, so that we can change these pieces of legislation. Um, but also our Labor hire campaign will be going on past the election so that not only if we uh, are successful in getting a Labor government in that we hold that Labor government to task and make sure the changes get implemented. But also with the Labor hire campaign, we'll be uh, upping the ante on um, Labor hire providers at the moment until we can change the legislation to make sure that they're paying all of the entitlements that they have to pay, things like superannuation and other things that they currently quite often don't pay. Um, and also just to, to try and highlight it to our EBA companies that we don't believe that them engaging labour hire and paying lesser rates in their agreement is acceptable. So how we do that, well, I won't say too much on that, but certainly we'll be giving them some education on it.
so obviously part of the campaign, and we've uh, put a submission together to um, Anthony Albanese, who's the opposition leader, the leader of the Labor Party. Um, the commitment um, we want from Anthony and a Labor government into the future is to repeal the legislation around casuals that stipulates um, 12 months before they can, uh, before an employer has to look at making them permanent. We would like to see that go back to six weeks, but as a minimum, we would like to see the legislation be repealed to three months, that a casual employee um, could only be casual for a maximum of three months before being made permanent, um, and also that um, a Labor government would uh, abolish the building code um, so that we could also put clauses back into our agreements around the, the six weeks and that they are paid the same wages and conditions as, as people working under that EBA. That's a commitment we would expect from a Labor government and that's the commitment we're seeking from Anthony Albanese as the leader of uh, Labor. This podcast is produced by the Electoral Trades Union, Queensland and Northern Territory branch. Tune in next week for another episode.